This is Passport to Everywhere, an incredible worldwide journey as your host, Melissa Biggs Bradley, transports you to dream destinations, introduces you to extraordinary guests from all over the world, showcases the current state of travel, shares valuable insights, takes you behind the scenes at some of the most iconic hotels, and explores the future of travel. This is your your Passport to Everywhere. For me, travel is like breathing. I couldn't live without it. And to be completely honest, before I had my two kids, I was worried about how much my identity as a traveler would change once I did. In many ways, things did change, and my trips looked slightly different after having children. But it wasn't the kind of change I had once considered with a lot of apprehension. It was a good change. Traveling with my family gave me the opportunity to share my passions with the people I love most to experience familiar things in new ways, and see the world through new lenses. And perhaps most importantly, it has afforded me, and still does, the ability to create fresh shared memories. In fact, some of my fondest memories are from family trips, either around America with my kids when they were younger, or later to Jordan, Africa, and India with them when they were in high school. Not only did we discover new places and meet special people together, but we got to share true adventures. Though managing different personalities and preferences does add some complication, much more than when you're traveling solo, the joy is also magnified when it's shared with others, especially loved ones. So not surprisingly, over the years, I've been asked for family travel advice, and there are many things to keep in mind as you think about planning a family trip. The ages of your children play a huge role, as do conflicting schedules, preferences, my daughter hates the beach, my son loves surfing, and goals. And that's not to mention, of course, the flight distances, food allergies, general safety, and more. But for every factor and potential roadblock, you do stand to reap the reward of travel to an even greater degree, as there is no greater sense of gratification than a successful family trip. And of course, they make the best photo albums too. Joining me today to dive into the depths of family travel are two of my colleagues from Indigari. One who has many years of practice, and another who is back in the toddler travel trenches. Annie Fitzsimmons, Indigari's editorial director, has a four-year-old daughter, but she also has decades of travel experience, as well as a book coming out with National Geographic. Eliza Harris, Indigari's COO, has been by my side at Indigari since the company's launch in 2007 and she has three sons, ranging from high school to college age. Needless to say, between the three of us, we are well-equipped to share the ins and outs of family travel, and I'm excited for us to share specific tips for how you too can create family memories that will last a lifetime. Share the show. Find more episodes of Passport to Everywhere with Melissa Biggs-Bradley, streaming now on all podcast platforms. Journey continues. You're listening to Passport to Everywhere with Melissa Biggs Bradley. I'm speaking with Indigari's COO, Eliza Harris, and Indigari's editorial director, Annie Fitzsimmons, on family travel. So, to start with, I want to hear about your families. I mean, obviously, I know about your families, but for our listeners, can you tell us how many kids you have, what ages they are, to give context around what your expertise is going to offer in this episode. So, Eliza, how about you start us off? Sure, I can start. I have three sons who are now 15, 18, and 20. 
And I started traveling with them when they were toddlers, but it took us a while before we went overseas. Okay, wait, tell me, like, do you remember what you would consider your first kind of family trip with them? How little were they? And Sure. I, I'm... I guess our first family trip was going to Twin Farms when the boys, my two, my third child hadn't been born yet, and my older two were probably two and three. Um, and it was a beautiful destination, but it wasn't a kid-friendly hotel. And that taught me a lot about I'm going to have to change up my own expectations of what travel looks like as a parent. Fantastic. And I want to get into how you're family travel has evolved as the boys have grown up because you've got a lot of adventure there. But let's sure. start, Annie, with you giving us a little background on your family situation. Yes, I have a four-year-old daughter, Sophie, and we have taken her all over the world, three continents. Um, I took her to my hometown of Scottsdale, Arizona when she was eight weeks, but we also took her to uh, South America, to Rio de Janeiro, Iguazu Falls, and Buenos Aires when she was seven months. And then from there, we've gone all over. So both of you guys have had long careers in travel and were already immersed in the traveling as a passion and also as a career before you had kids. And I would be curious to hear whether or not you were nervous about what having children would do for your traveling habits? And, and if so, what were some of the things that you worried about? Um, and what were some of those things that were true and some things that may not have been true? I'm actually going to ask you, Eliza, to start because you mentioned the Twin Farms moment making you realize you had to adjust. So I, I did have to really adjust my travel style in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways is that I personally like uh unscripted experiences. And with children, there's a tremendous value in scripted experiences. I personally like great open spaces and uh, exploring. And with children, you're certainly better in a small enclosed space that has clear boundaries. And so I did have to adapt my travel style. And it was, but I think the, the main thing that you learn is that Happy children means happy parents, and um, and so adapting your style is it turns out to be a fun thing because when you can see it all kind of click and fall into place, it's magical. Yeah, and I actually have to remember one of the first trips I took my daughter on that was a work trip. I remember going to Belize to the Francis Ford Coppola Resorts, and she was probably seven or eight. And we had, you know, she did not want to go snorkeling. And that's the thing that you really should be doing. And we had a bit of a battle royale over getting her to, to snorkel. But I also remember how it opened my eyes to having somebody different giving you insights into a place. Because we as adults are fixed in our habits. And I'll never forget when our flight was delayed and we were at the airport and I went in being a neurotic parent, went into the newsstand and was like, OK, I'm going to have to feed her two meals of packaged food that's hermetically sealed. And there was a food stand where they were serving rice and beans and everybody was eating the rice and beans. And my daughter was like, but mommy, why wouldn't we eat the rice and beans that everybody else is having? And I was like, you know what? You're right. We should go and eat the rice and beans that everybody else is having. And it was just one of those, the first of many experiences where my daughter changed my travel routine for the better. 
So um, it's it's interesting how adapting can be a hard thing, but a good thing. So what about you, Annie? What have you learned so far? What were you afraid of? So right before my daughter was born, I remember posting pictures of myself at the Taj Mahal and in Shanghai and on Phillip Island in Australia with the penguins to kind of prove to everyone, mostly myself, that I was still me, even though I had a baby coming. Um, And it's so funny because I wouldn't trade that time now for anything. And I'm also very aware of how I talk about my job with her. You know, I, I talk about how proud I am and how I love it and who I get to meet. And I remember a tough day I had once at work and I said, oh, it was, you know, it was a hard day for mama. And she goes, but mama, you love your job. And I was just, I was so proud because yes, I work and travel and I'm, she's getting to experience these places too, but also I'm showing her what it's like to love your job. Yeah. So I also, I had a moment, you know, when I, I took her to Paris the week before she turned three and uh, I went to take her to see the Eiffel Tower and she just was, her face was so full of awe and happiness and she was squealing. And of course, then we got gelato, which is another key factor in kid travel. Um, but it just made me think, you know, I was I was so jaded about the Eiffel Tower. And to see her face in that moment, I realized that, oh, my gosh, I have all of these moments ahead of me with her. Yeah. Well, and you're in London, so it's easy for you to take an international trip. You can take Sophie on a train and be in France a couple hours later. I'd be curious, Eliza, what your first international trip with your boys was. Um, and if you have advice that you that comes from your own experiences for people with younger kids of when they should go internationally or where they should think about traveling. So we t- I took uh, my boys to Tanzania when my youngest, Hank, was 11, and we went on safari. And um, I think it was, in retrospect, 11 is probably the earliest that I would take someone on safari, and the things that I noticed were that he uh, struggled with the jet lag and he ended up sleeping through every single dinner and also that his stamina was lower um, than, say, my older son. So so my youngest son was, um, he could go on one game drive in the morning and then that was kind of all he could handle. And my older son, who was a, a, a teenager, maybe 16 at the time, it was a perfect time for him. And he wanted to do everything. He wanted to go on all the game drives and he wanted to um, go on a bushwalk. And uh, and so you you sort of start to see, again, what makes sense from a safari standpoint. Um, but it was a really precious memory. And I'm so glad that we went and we did it. Yeah, I sort of had a rule of thumb when my kids were little that I would take them roughly only the hour distance of their age because my feeling was at two and three, we went to Florida a fair amount, which obviously doesn't offer a lot of different cultural immersion. But what they really needed was the regular timing of their nap and their regular feeding time, no jet lag, a pool, a comfortable place. And as they got older, so by the time they were six and seven, you know, I I had taken them abroad and they could adjust to some of those things. But I do think in a, in a funny way, that's a good rule of thumb that however many years are old, they can handle the time zone difference. And again, I, I broke that rule and I learned somewhat the hard way. I took a one and a half year old to Italy because we really wanted to go and rent a villa in Italy. And we earned every bit of our vacation on the flights there and back with a squirming one and a half year old boy who really didn't want to sit still. So I, I just think it's one of those things people should think about. Yeah, no, I love that as a, as a ground rule. I do think it's also about 
you know, maybe more important than the distance is the length you're staying when you get there. And then also how often you're changing hotels. If you're staying in one villa for a week or two weeks, maybe that longer flight is worth it. But I do think sometimes parents and families try to do too much. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And Eliza, over the years of you not just traveling with your children, but also advising other families about traveling with their children, are there sort of buckets where you would say from like I basically was felt with my kids one to five or six was a beach and a pool is the ideal recipe uh, and a pretty regular schedule. What about as they get older, seven to 10 or seven to 11 age group and then the different teenage groups? I I completely agree. And that's exactly how I think about it. And I, I really start, I think about it a lot in terms of the the range of motion gets larger and larger as they go out. And when they're, you know, in the zero to five, you really need an extremely small enclosed area. Um, and then as they start getting bigger and bigger and bigger, um, you, you push that out more. Um, and also you think, I think a lot about some of the categories that I think about as being a really, when they're little, the the food and the dining is such a big I had two picky eaters and oh my goodness I mean the planning that I would have to do you know I you know my my son there was a period of time when he wanted a particular style of pasta and I actually flew to a resort with with a bag of pasta it was a particular brand that he liked and I would hand a little bag of pasta to the chef and I would say please prepare this and charge me accordingly and uh but 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 those are the things that you need to do when you have um, picky eaters. And I think one brand that I think really understands children impeccably is the Four Seasons. And they understand how to make families happy on everything from the kids menu, which is exactly the right kids menu, to special amenities, to the way that they, you know, they'll have little kid bathrobes or they'll have a special cookie with the child's name on it or... I think even just knowing to to greet the child by name when the child arrives. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I never forget a slumber party at the Four Seasons in Palm Beach or the Kids Club. And then the slumber party, which didn't wasn't really a slumber party, but it was from six until nine, meant that we could have a grown-up dinner without children for two hours or three hours, which was amazing. But also just the Kids Club in Costa Rica and Four Seasons. My son still gets birthday cards from them. And he almost didn't want to spend much of the vacation with us because they did such a great job. So I totally agree. They're so good. What about you, Annie? Are there other hotel groups or experiences that you've had with Sophie where you think they've really gotten it? So I think I call it now, I mean, she's four, right? So I call it easy button travel where you just want to walk in and everything is is easy. But I also, you know, I stayed at a horrible all-inclusive once in the Caribbean and it had terrible food so you know it's certain things have to be also okay for adults so again the four seasons in Hampshire I'm based in London so a lot of these places are easier I also think Belmond does a great job there's a Belmond in Madeira that um, is just has a wonderful kids club great pools the Marbella club in Spain I spend a lot of time in Switzerland and I think they have a lot of the best kid-friendly resorts. There's one that not a lot of people know about. It's called um, the Marken Hotel, literally means the fairy tale hotel in Braunwald, this beautiful um, mountain village with no cars. And the GM is reading fairy tales and there is a spa for adults and animals wandering around and free childcare. It's just incredibly special. The Victoria Jungfrau just opened a new kids club. So there's there's a lot that have great kids yeah. experiences. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about picking the great family hotel. And 
ones that are set up for kids. But sometimes that doesn't always happen. I mean, I have to say, sometimes I'm in a restaurant or a hotel that really isn't kid appropriate and there are families with little kids and it impacts me as a guest. And there have been times when I've been in a hotel where I really shouldn't have had little children. What are some of the ways in which you think people can manage in those situations? Well, I think it's really important to choose the hotel properly. And I've certainly been in situations where I didn't choose the hotel exactly right. And really, there's truly nothing more stressful as a parent than being in an environment where you are 100% positive that your child is going to knock that vase over or destroy something or run around screaming when they should be quiet or not wear the collared shirt to dinner. Uh, And you are having to very heavily police the child and the child is incensed that they are being heavily policed and it's incredibly uncomfortable for everybody involved. And that is uh, certainly something that I think anyone who is a parent has has lived through that. Or the people shooting you daggers because your child is ruining their dinner. Yeah, or, you know, even that they're, you know, making a lot of noise in the pool. And there's nothing also worse as a parent than when your child is joyfully trying to, you know, have a play a game in a pool or run around the garden um, and they're having fun and they're happy and they should be. They're a kid. And then you have to be the one that comes in there and and shuts the whole thing down. And that's why I think it's really important to understand what's the vibe of the of the hotel that you're going to. And and this is where we get also get into the hotels that I would be staying in with my husband that maybe some of our favorite hotels anywhere are certainly not the same ones I would go to with my child. And also that, you know, there are there are hotels that my children have chosen that I would have said I would never in a thousand years stay in that hotel. And then you stay there and, and like, they're pretty darn fun. Um, and that was a surprise. It was, it was, I, we actually had a pretty fun family trip to Disney, which I was not, is not my cup of tea. But, um, it, it, you know, our kids had a blast. And for the age they were, it was it was a great destination. Yeah. My, my PTSD one of, of not being in the right hotel was ages ago when my son was one and a half staying at Villa Feltrinelli because it had just opened and I was writing a story about it for Tenant Country and we checked in and had the most beautiful suite and literally every single piece of furniture was part of Italy's National Historic Registry and I had to feed my children the pasta which they lovingly made every single meal for three days in the bathroom because I was so worried. I was sitting on the floor of this marble bathroom feeding them pasta because I was so worried that they were going to spill something. <laughs> and so, yeah. I would also say we made the mistake once of doing a weekend away in Suffolk when she was two and a half. And we stayed at this, you know, B&B, a pub with rooms. And there was literally nothing to do. Right. So there you just have to. We, it was horrible. I was like, why? Why are we here? We should just be home. So, you know, I thought it would be lovely and that we would have all this time together. But we, you know, there was just nothing to do at all. So just, you know, watching for that as well. Well, and I've heard you say that it's like family travel isn't necessarily always a vacation. It's not always a vacation. And I think, you know, sometimes it'll it'll be easy. You'll be in the airplane. It'll be easy. You'll be drinking a glass of wine. Other times you'll be, you know, so stressed and exhausted. But it is it's just parenting in a different location. So you have to keep that in mind and expect some rough times. 
one that doesn't necessarily have all the aids that help you through parenting at home. Exactly. So it can be challenging. No, that's super helpful. So what about when they get older, Eliza? This sort of hits trips for you when they were preteen, but out of the really young stage. So one of my favorite trips that I did with my oldest son, Andrew, uh, he's a foodie. And we went to um, London and then Paris and then Amsterdam. And I did a crash course in Parisian food for him. And I got, we just, we made a list of everything. And it was, you know, it was obvious things. We, everything that he was going to have to taste before he left Paris. And it was you know, croissants and foie gras and poilon bread and ice cream. And, and we, we had this checklist and then I had mapped out this route that we were going to walk. And we walked and we did just kind of a food tasting tour. And that was really, uh, really fun. And then Amsterdam was perfect with, I guess he was maybe a young teenager at that point because you get everywhere by bike and you know, no one's wearing helmet and it's, a, and it's really chaotic. And he was able to just lead us everywhere. So I would say, okay, you know, here's where we're going. You figure it out. And then I was kind of chasing. He was leading us through the streets on this kind of madcap bike race. And I was chasing him as, as quickly as I could go. Yeah, I love the idea of getting kids involved in the activities that you're doing, but also even the planning and you know, over the years, you and I have worked with families that have done some pretty interesting things like following certain, you know, going to certain places that had soccer leagues or baseball to be able to build a trip around seeing hometown baseball or soccer. Or I remember we did one series of President's Day weekends where we went to different American cities. And in four days, we would do, you know, Charleston or Washington, D.C. or New Orleans, but to introduce them to America in kind of fun around history, but always with food. I think food and conveyance are great ways to get kids involved. If they can ride on a, a, you know, a bike or a horse or a donkey or, you know, a moped, you know, any of those kinds of things that are just different. I totally agree. And we, you and I have a joke that when you've got little kids, for some reason, if you're at a resort where you get everywhere by golf cart, that is a magical experience for for young children. And, and I don't know why it would be such a, a game changer, but it really is. And they absolutely love it. So while we're on that, are there other things at a hotel for, you know, I'm going to keep you with the teens and tweens that you think are essential um, when you're asking, when, you know, you're moved out of the need for a kids club and you're looking for a golf cart is a great activity. What are some of the other things? I I would say too, and and I think this applies to all age kids, is asking the question of how much independence can your kids reasonably have? And um, to what degree can you really let them, you know, run off on their own? And and when the kids are really little, just being able to run from the, to being able to say, I'll meet you at breakfast and the kid can run ahead to breakfast or, you know, you go back to the room and I'll, you know, I'll follow you from the beach and the, and you're in a safe enough environment where the child can do that on them on their own. Um, and then when you get to an older phase, so my middle son really loves walking long distances and he loves exploring a city. And for him being in a city where I can comfortably say, okay, you can go do a 10 mile walk that you map out yourself and that I'm completely comfortable with um, 
you know, you being off and independent is real. That's really important to him now. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Annie? But being in the in the stage that Eliza and I have kind of outgrown with our kids, what are some of the things that are essential in a hotel or even just dreamy? I remember the breakers, for instance, used to have a crib at stroller and you didn't have to bring your own. You could just book it, which was pretty great. That's amazing. That's amazing. I think the pool is the number one thing, right? I mean, it has to be. And also not just open for one hour a day. A lot of hotels says you have to check the opening and closing times of when kids are allowed in there. I also think you have to really look at the room configurations. I mean, I've had dinner in a bathroom so many times because I didn't want to hire a sitter that night, but the room had to be dark for her to sleep. So obviously a suite, if you can swing it is is nice otherwise asking if there's a place that can be covered or if you could roll the crib even into the closet uh, looking at all those things and then i think actually the kids menu you mentioned this eliza but you know expanding it beyond the chicken nuggets and pasta is for me key because she's a better person if she eats better so having those options is important for me okay what about airport trips i almost every time i see people with little kids in the airport all i can do is think i'm be so happy that I've passed that. But what are some of the tips that have helped you in airport travel in terms of either getting there on time or entertaining the kids on the flight or feeding? Any other tips that you have? Yeah, you know, we have a really strict rule about no iPads in restaurants. And there's, you know, no rule at all on airplanes. I will say I don't let her watch it until we're on the airplane itself because she can kill, you know, two or three hours waiting for the plane and then by that time, she's already grumpy. So I make sure when she's in the seat, then she gets to watch it. And then I always have a surprise toy, a magazine or something midway through the flight that if the iPad, you know, if it's enough time, then I can bring that out. I also bring my own snacks. I'm crazy about bringing veggie packs. I make, Jamie Oliver has this great seven vegetable tomato sauce that I will make and I will make a little pasta for her that I bring. So I have that food with me. And then I also bring... Um, she just graduated from a stroller. I did. Everyone talks about the yo-yo, which folds up into the overhead compartment. I will say a cheaper version of that, which we had, was the GB Pocket, which I also liked. It just broke. And now she's moved on to the Stock A Jet Kids, where you can wheel her around and then she packs it. So I think that'll be the next couple of years, the way we get around. Yeah. Hey, Tips Eliza, you've done New Zealand recently with your boys. But I'm assuming they just watch the, the entertainment at this stage. Yeah, it's so much easier. I have to say I had I had so much equipment when my kids were young. And, and when they were young, I, I think I also loved, um, we had something that was kind of a more modern version of the Etch-A-Sketch, but was basically a, a tablet where they could draw pictures and then erase them and draw another picture and erase it. And that um, was something that killed countless hours uh, in airports. I will say, too, just about the iPad, again, make sure that if you have Disney Plus or one of those that you test it with on the airplane mode when you download the videos because I've had been in the situation where it hasn't worked on the plane and I had nothing. So just make sure that it works when it's in airplane mode. Also, wet wipes everywhere. I had one in every pocket. And then for the hotel room, I always bring um, several balloons to blow up in the room. And then she just plays with them, as well as a roll of paper towels. That's a really good idea. Wait, what did she do with the paper towels? Just in case there's a mess. So wet wipes oh. and paper towels and the balloons for fun. <laughs> okay, got it. I was, thought I was missing something there. Um, okay, so then moving to destinations. Um, and, and Eliza, I'd, I'd love you to draw on what you've done with your boys, but also what you've seen be continued success for the families you've advised over the years. What are some of the destinations that are just knockout family experiences? 
Well, I had the great pleasure of taking my boys to New Zealand in for the first time in March of this year. And that was just a, a complete home run. And it's a it's a long flight. It's as far away as you can fly from where we live. Um, but it was an absolutely spectacular uh, wilderness experience. And we've seen that be a really fun thing for families because there's so many different activities that you can do there. Uh, certainly when the kids are younger, Florida and the Caribbean, especially for people living on the East Coast, are always slam dunks because you've got beach. A lot of times you have direct flights. Um, certainly some of the European cities are really fun with children. Um, London, Amsterdam, um, Paris, uh, Rome is obviously a, a, a complete winner. Um, and and certainly um, Athens, too, because a lot of times they're learning about Greek and Roman history in school. And it's fun to be able to tie uh, their, their school learning to actually seeing things in person. I also, we loved uh, American history with my oldest. He was very into American history. So we did a lot of fun domestic travel to places like the Liberty Bell and the Lincoln Memorial. And those were fun with kids as well. Yeah, and I think, Annie, it's impossible for you to imagine, but Eliza and I have done this together since when we had really little kids. And I think it was first suggested to us, Eliza, maybe even by our clients who had older kids, that you needed to be strategic about the little bit. You only have maybe 10 to 12 years where your kids are able to go anywhere and they still have chunks of vacation time and they want to be with you. And it, I, I listened when our clients started saying that and became very intentional with my husband about, okay, we've only got, you know, eight or nine or 10, whatever it was when we started planning this, spring breaks, summer breaks, and Christmases. And Christmases, we, we tended to go back to the same place over and over to try and get some relaxation. But we did really think about what are the places that we as a family want to experience together. And, you know, for instance, when my kids first expressed interest in going to India, I remember saying to my husband, you know, I want to have the experience of India as a family. I don't want this to be something that they go and experience with other people because they're probably, and they definitely did, going to confront issues around what does it mean to be born in India versus born in America, for my daughter's sake, for instance? Why is it that I am almost guaranteed a decent education, certainly literacy, whereas I know the percentage of women in India that are not going to get that? And we wanted to have those conversations together. So we were quite intentional about saying, these are the places that we've loved most in our life that we want to share with our kids, like a safari. But also these are places where we want, you know, we went to Berlin and, and Israel and said, you know, we want to have conversations around history that are complicated as a family. And it seemed shocking to me that you had to plan that out. But now I've got two kids that are out of college and almost impossible to get vacation time together. So I think that's something that is worth thinking about. And Annie, you're, you're way early but but I'm curious, you know, how you're thinking about the next stretch of travel with Sophie. Yeah, absolutely. She goes to real school in the fall and I'm all of a sudden looking at the only time I have with her is the half term breaks or, you know, the spring breaks, the Christmas breaks. 
So it becomes very different. And I also think, you know, she's getting, she's between toddler and kid still. And I want to do some of those fun, you know, Disney Paris I took her to. Part of it's for us, you know, but obviously it's also a very easy trip. So as she gets older, I do want to map it out. I want to talk to people like you and Eliza to 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 look at what should I be planning on when she's seven, eight, nine, ten. And that's so true. And I also am a huge, I say it all the time, but I really believe childhood goes so fast. We all know that. But I think travel is one of the only things that can slow it down because you're so present when you're there. You're not on your phone all the time. You know, at home, I'm doing the dishes, the laundry, whatever it is. When I travel with Sophie, I am looking in her eyes. I'm there in that moment on that playground in Athens or wherever it is. And it's the most magical thing. And it also goes into their memories in such a wonderful way. I have to mention to you, when I when my daughter was probably three, we went to Paris because we had a tradition. My mother would take any of her grandchildren when they turned eight um, to Paris. And I got to go along because I knew it well. So I brought Fiona with one of her cousins who's eight. And we did all of the typical things that you do in Paris with little kids. We rode on carousels and we went to the Louvre and we went to the Tuileries and did lots of walking around and eating ice cream and crepes and those kinds of things. But those girls are now 25 and 30. And when we just went back, they wa- they have the photo album that we created from their three and eight-year-old trip. And they wanted to go back to all those sites and take pictures of them as grown-ups together. And it was one of these wonderful things where it's like travel not only like builds memories in the moment, but it's part of their legacy of their relationship and our relationship. And I think you're totally right. And I want to add that something that I, you and I, Melissa, have talked about is the idea of when you send your kids on safari when they're young, they grow up then with that experience just as part of who they are. And I think something that was very powerful for me when we were in Tanzania was seeing the bond with, we were at the Four Seasons Serengeti and there was um, a guide there named Cassie who was a Maasai warrior and my kids just completely clicked with him. And they, he was so funny. He had such a great sense of humor. And he was so charming. And he was telling them all these stories about his life. And there was something about, you know, a lion came up while he was guarding his sheep. And he chased the lion off with his spear. And um, I just loved watching it because you could see that they had this sudden understanding of here is this person who is so different from us in so many respects and that we just naturally click with and it feels like a friend that we've had for our entire lives and you 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 can explain to them a story about our connection with you know other people across different cultures in a way that just through experience you understand is so, so different than what you could ever try and explain verbally and i love that they are now they've grown up with that experience and that's what they think of when they think of Tanzania is Cassie. Stay tuned for more family travel tips from Indigare's editorial director Annie Fitzsimmons and Indigare's COO Eliza Harris. And if you're enjoying this conversation, you might love our Indigare newsletter where we share even more weekly insider travel recommendations. Sign up at indigare.com. Passport to Everywhere with Melissa Biggs Bradley will continue. Listen to new episodes Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Sirius XM Business Radio Channel 132. Experience life without borders. You're listening to Passport, Passport to, to Everywhere. Everywhere. Here's your host, Melissa Biggs Bradley. This week on Passport to Everywhere, I'm speaking with Indigare's COO, Eliza Harris 
and Indigare's editorial director, Annie Fitzsimmons, on family travel. And if you're enjoying this episode, you might enjoy our Indigare newsletter with more insider travel tips. You can sign up at indigare.com slash newsletter hyphen subscribe. So what about when you're planning a trip, Eliza? You know, again, you and I have thought through this. We've deconstructed thousands of family trips and, and constructed them for people. What are some of the takeaways that you would give to Annie or someone else in thinking, like, as you move forward and you have more of an attention span, what are some of the key takeaways of how to structure your days, how to do the right mix of visits, how to intersperse culture? What are some of your rules? Well, I think it really, you have to really understand the the different habits of the child at the age that they are. And I think a funny example of that is that when the kids are younger, they're very up for things in the morning and then they're in the afternoon, they're completely exhausted. And then when you're teenagers, it's the exact opposite. So when, when my kids were little, like we had to do all our activities as a half day morning tour. And then the afternoon was just shot. And my teenager is like, you can't get them out of bed before noon. <laughs> and then they're completely ready to roll in the afternoon. So it's So you really want to think about and the other thing is thinking about the guides and really pairing them very carefully with the guide and the activities and the destinations. And that's something that we do at Indigari is spend a lot of time thinking about what are the right guides for the right different personality types and different um, times of people's lives. And when do you need a really fun, vivacious guide? And when do you need one that is going to be more engaging and interesting and intellectual? Yeah. And, and how about getting the kids to be um, sort of proactive in the planning? How much do you advocate for having them expressing their I interests? I think it's critical. And I always want to know, I, I, and again, this goes back to, like, you really have to upend how you think about travel when you have children of, like, you have to make sure that they're happy and engaged and they're going someplace that they want to go because, um, again, happy children means happy parents. And so getting them involved and getting them part of the planning and thinking about destinations that are going to appeal to them. And again, I give the example of my oldest son, who is a history buff, and we can think about, okay, what are the different history historical destinations that you want to go that are also interesting to me? We haven't been to Berlin yet, but that is one that's absolutely on both of our lists and for different reasons. Yeah. Okay. So, Eliza, you talked about getting people in your children involved in the things that interest them, but you've got three kids. How do you manage not just when one of your kids is passionate about something. You've got multiple interests within the kids group, but also within parents. How do you please everybody on a trip? Or how do you try to figure out how to have enough for each person to be happy? Well, I will tell you that I actually think the answer is you plan a lot of individual one-on-one -on -one trips with one parent and one kid. And that that has been one of the most fun and successful things in my family um, and and for my husband as well, like he'll plan a um, a one on one trip with one of our sons, and they'll they'll do something that nobody else in the family maybe wanted to do. And you also have such an important opportunity to have a really special bonding experience that both of you will remember forever when it's one on one. Um, and I think especially with three kids in a family you can feel a lot of times and and it this maybe goes for the middle kid or the younger kid that you're not getting as much parental attention as maybe you want um and having just one parent completely focused on you and completely focused on crafting a trip around exactly what you want to do and 
and where you want to go is a really special thing. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I mean, having one kid who loves the beach and surfing and one who doesn't ever want to see the sun um, and and likes museums, I've definitely learned that way. Um, and I also find, you know, it's funny, someone said to me the other day, unfortunately, the stress of traveling as a family, sometimes you, you have these great expectations, you've spent a lot of money, you've brought everyone this great vacation, and the kids seem to quarrel more on vacation than, I mean, this is just the ugly truth that sometimes happens. Of course, they look back on it and they never remember any of the epic fights. And I, as a parent, think, what on earth was I doing <laughs> coming all this way? Um, and that doesn't happen when it's just, you know, you with one kid. Yeah, exactly. So here's a question for you, Annie, opposite end of things. But it's really important for sleep-deprived parents of younger children. How do you? How have you found preparing your child for the time difference? I mean, I set my own body clock for jet lag. Are you trying to do the same thing with Sophie? No, I've tried, and I found the effort didn't really work. So, I mean, obviously, you know, it's actually been okay because I think with smaller children, four or five and under, it's they they adjust pretty quickly. I also, since she turned three, I do bring. Um, they're available everywhere, but melatonin gummies for the kids. And I do give those to her the first couple of days and they do work in my experience. Um, so it's kind of a natural help. I mean, you just have to go into it knowing that some of your nights are going to be sleepless and you don't remember that. I just remember the super early wake up time. Yeah. And you're just can't wait for room service to start delivering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And some of those times can be really special. You know, if she wakes up at 6 a.m. and I want to, you know, lay in bed, but then we go out and the city looks different than it, it might otherwise. And some of those are my favorite memories, you know, early mornings in Paris or, or things like that. And you mentioned seeing her face and being surprised by just how much of a fairy tale come true it was for her to see the Eiffel Tower. Can you share some other examples? You know, I think we often have ideas of what we want our kids to get out of travel. And my experience has been it's never what you think they're going to get out of it. It's something else that they have to teach us. But that's super important. Can, are there examples? Absolutely. I think having a child is a bridge to another culture in a way that I didn't expect. Like I remember when she was a baby and we took her to Italy three times before she turned one. And these grown Italian men would hold the baby and they would start tearing up. And one of them was crying. And I thought to me that was such an insight into the Italian culture of how important family was and how, you know, their kids had grown. And here was this baby. Um, and I really love that. I also try to when I go places, I try to find where local parents go and take their kids. And I find oftentimes like we went to Amsterdam and out of central Amsterdam past the Old Olympic Stadium is the Amsterdam Forest. So it's really outside of the hectic, hectic city center. But there is this magical and funny goat farm. And for local kids, they grew up going to this farm. And we found it. We took our bikes there and we fed these goats with baby bottles and we laid there with the goats. But we were surrounded by the local families. And I'll never forget that. And then we biked back into Amsterdam and had dinner at this family Italian restaurant that has been there for more than 40 years. So that day, you know, I'll remember that forever. So finding those moments um, is just, yeah, incredibly special. It's amazing. I actually only survived the nine-hour return trip from Rome with my one-and-a-half-year-old squirrely boy because there was a lovely older Italian gentleman who didn't uh -huh. speak a word of English in the seat behind. So as my son played peekaboo and stuck his hand back and forth for about nine hours, I had, thank God, a really patient person on the plane. So I know exactly what you're talking about, the, the care in Italy. 
I highly recommend Italy for people with young children. What yeah. about you, Eliza? Are there examples that really stand out about, you know, the power of watching your children's worlds open up when they were traveling? And you shared some, but. Well, I'm immediately thinking of when I got to watch them when we took our helicopter excursion in New Zealand uh, to Milford Sound, and they were just so excited and so engaged and and just dazzled by it. As but but that wasn't unpredictable. I mean, that was I knew that that was going to be a wow. But still, when you have teenagers, you know they can be a little bit jaded about the world, and yeah. and to be able to see that look of just pure joy and thrill and uh, excitement on the face of a teenager is a, is a fun thing. Yeah, no, and, and I think one of the things that's so great about it that I've seen in my kids is they've grown up having been dragged around and forced to do certain things. You know, I remember the first time I took my daughter to the Louvre when she was seven or eight, and we did a sort of a scavenger hunt to find the Venus de Milo and the, the Mona Lisa and a few other things. But she is a obsessive museum person. I didn't know that that was going to happen, but she has an, a comfort in cultural institutions that I think came from being dragged around. And I'll never forget, too, my son, we took him to a school visit in Tanzania when he was 10. And the man was explaining, you know, what the kids' school program was. And he was explaining a whole bunch of things about life in rural Tanzania. And it wasn't until like two weeks later when my son said we were in his bathroom and he saw the Pepto-Bismol. And he said, Mom, you remember that most of the children who die in Africa die because they have dehydration from stomach bugs and they don't have Pepto-Bismol. And I thought, wait, you were paying attention? And so I think that's one of the things that I always find is amazing is you just don't know what people are going to take away. And and that's true for all of the kids. So you have to keep exposing them even if they don't seem like they want to pay attention. And I would say another thing that I find really fun too is that they'll be more indulgent for the things that I want to do. And and I, an example that I'll give is when we were in Tanzania, one of the things I wanted to do was um, an, an evening kind of sunset meditation with a guide on, we did a hike up Kapcha and then, and then sat on the top and did a sunset meditation. And they loved it and they were really into it. And we have a picture of us all together, you know, in the lotus position sitting on top of this rock. And it, it w- again, with, with the Maasai warrior with us. And it's just, it's such a fun thing to look back on. And, and again, I'm not sure that they would have indulged me in a different setting, but there they were really happy to be part of it. And we still talk about it. And it's a beautiful memory. Yeah. And one of our, our family lore memories like that is I remember we were going to Berlin and my kids were teenagers at that point, And my daughter suggested that we go to, um, um, Tempelhof, which was the old airport in that was built in the 1930s. It was the largest airport in the world when it was built. And I'd never heard of it. And I was thinking, Look, I'm the travel expert. I know what we've planned for Berlin. And she was like, you know, Mom, I really want to go to Tempelhof. You can ride these motorized scooters on the old runways. And it looks super cool. And I trusted her and we went. And it was probably one of the highlights of our Berlin trip. And, and I so again, I think that I've learned so much from them pushing me um, or me indulging them in their interests. And it, it really goes both ways. So kind of a corny question, but why is traveling with your children such an important thing for you to do? What are you hoping they get out of it? For me, I think 
to create that family history, you mentioned family lore. I think that's so important. And it's not just what they remember. It's that time together as a family that impacts all of us. And it's time to do nothing and something together. And even though she's still little, you know, witnessing that how that uninterrupted family time makes us closer is really important to me. And you mentioned, again, seeing these things with your kids. I mean, that's what a gift, you know, what a privilege it is to do this and to never forget that. If I ever get jaded on a trip with my daughter, I should just stay home. Right. I mean, we have to we're so lucky. So and I also, of course, meeting other people and and sort of exercising those muscles of what it's like to be a little nervous in a new situation and to meet new people and to try new food. You know, I took her to Chinatown in London. I also believe you can really travel where you are. You know, we're lucky to live in London, but wherever you live, you can find these experiences to go get dumplings uh, or wherever. And I think that is another way of exposing kids. And I, I think that you're more likely to do that if you're not at home to try these new things. That's really important to me. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. And on both of those, I couldn't agree more that we can be in our own backyard and take the mindset with us. And that if we don't set aside the time to do specific things with each other, you can sit at home and everyone be in their room on their screens and, and you miss out on so much. Um, what about you, Eliza? I would say two things. And the first is, so I'm 54 and my parents uh, both passed away one 20 years ago and one 25 years ago. And I would say I've gotten to that point in my life where there's a lot of my childhood that has kind of slipped through my grasp in terms of my memory. Like there's a lot that has just kind of disappeared. But I can tell you every single minute of every single trip that we ever took as a family and being able to then create those memories for my children and know that I think it's going to be the same thing for them. And the other thing is I think that travel brings out wonderful kind of uh, for a lot of us brings out the best version of ourselves. And it's a it's a version that's very curious and open minded and open hearted and and having your children being able to, to see you in that mode and also being able, you being able to see them and having this be a shared experience of like what it is to experience life again as our best selves and and from this place of curiosity and joy and open heartedness is a is a very powerful thing. Totally agree. I, I don't think we could end on a more optimistic or beautifully articulate uh, hope for what family travel can do for people. Thank you guys both so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a joy speaking with Eliza and Annie today about family travel. I hope this conversation inspired you to embark on your own family adventure. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive more travel tips from Annie, Eliza, and myself at Indigari.com. And be sure to tune in next week as we explore Spain through the eyes of interior designer Michael Smith. The adventure continues next week. Find more episodes of Passport to Everywhere with Melissa Biggs-Bradley streaming now on all podcast platforms. And anytime on the SXM app. Follow Melissa on Instagram at at Indigari Founder. And for more on Melissa, head to Indigari.com. I-N-D-A-G-A-R-E. Send us your questions about travel. Passport at SiriusXM.com. Or call us at 646-535-7297. This has been Passport to Everywhere. everywhere.